Good morning and welcome to Sunlight Christian Center, located in downtown Orange. Let's join Pastor Joe and the worship service in progress. Some things in life that we shouldn't touch because they're too hot to touch. Your fingers were not designed to touch fire. Most of us probably have already tried as kids to put our finger in a flame only to discover that it burns and you don't touch it. There's stuff you don't you touch. Can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Some things you just can't touch because they're too hot to handle. And the thing I want to talk to you about this morning is this thing called revenge. Revenge is too hot to handle. Because if you, stu if you get involved in handling it, you will discover that in handling revenge, you are setting a chain reaction of events that take place that start a cycle, and when it begins, it's difficult to stop. If there's a drive-by shooting on this side of town, it's not too long before there will be a drive-by shooting on that side of town in order to compensate for the drive-by shooting that was on this side of the town. And then there'll be another drive-by shooting on this side of the town. In order, and you discover that there is no end to the battle. Whenever there's revenge, it just seems to start something. It starts something that you can't stop. And besides that, not only can you not stop it, but you got to keep looking over your shoulder all the time because you never know when re retribution might be coming your way. Somebody wrote this poem like this. Got to keep your eyes in the back of your head. Don't trust what the other guy said. Hide your gun under the bed. One false move, fill him with lead. Or else you're the one who's going to be dead. That's what revenge does. It starts something. Max Licata, in his book, Giants, tells us a humorous story, and I, I don't remember the names of, of the person, but I'm going to make them up, you know, but the story is, is humorous. You got Jack, who is really irritated at Harry, because every time Harry wants to make a point, he pokes him in the chest. He said, and not only that, and then he pokes him in the chest, and every time he does that, it irritates Jack. So Jack goes out and gets a bottle and fills it with nitroglycerin, and then puts it around his neck, and he tells Harry, the next time you poke me in the chest, your finger's going to hit the nitroglycerin, it's going to blow your finger off. What Jack needs to know is that when he does that, he's going to have a major case of heartburn, because it'll blow his heart off too. And that's the problem with revenge. Revenge starts something. Revenge will hurt the avengee, and it will end up hurting the avenger. It happens every time. And he got to learn how to stop it. Now, David tells us how to stop the cycle. And that's why we have this text this morning. And in the first, uh, the first passage, in 1 Samuel 23, 14, it says, Saul sought him every day. He was searching to kill David. He was, he was jealous of David because it seemed as if David was being groomed for the throne. And he was. And Saul picked up on it, and so he had this hatred for David and just was viciously out to destroy him. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul was searching, but God won't let him find David. You discover in the stories in the Bible that if God's got a certain protective shield around somebody, to fight God is crazy. 
you might as well forget about it. It would be the same thing as spitting into the wind or trying to kick a mountain away. If God has got his hand on somebody, it's better don't touch it, just let it go and walk on by. And this is the way it was with David. God had put a special anointing on his life and try as he could, Saul could not get David. But when we get to the 24th chapter, we find something interesting. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men. Now he's picked, handpicked 3,000 stormtroopers to help him search the caves to see if they could find David. He had one intention, that was to kill him. But he was up against a tough situation because God was protecting David. And the story simply tells us this, that if God has his protection on you, there is no weapon that's formed against you that can prosper. The weapon could be formed, but when they go to pull the trigger, it will backfire. There isn't a fiery furnace that's hot enough that can destroy the three Hebrew boys if God's got his hand on the three Hebrew boys. It doesn't matter how you feel about the three Hebrew boys, God has his hand on the three Hebrew boys. There isn't a den of lions that is hungry enough to destroy a Daniel. If God has his hand on Daniel, they can't make a lion's den to get him. The point is simply this. Saul is going to have to discover that if God's got his hand on somebody, don't touch it. Get your hands off of it. And so with that in mind, we're going to go into the text. And here's, here's as the story unravels, it goes this way. So he came, that's King Saul, came to the the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. There were lots of caves out there by the Dead Sea, and he happened to pick just this one. And Saul went in to attend his needs, to answer the call of nature, to go to the bathroom. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. It's a big cave because David had 600 men in that cave, all standing by the walls along with David, watching King Saul come in. Isn't it amazing that King Saul's got 3,000 stormtroopers that are his bodyguards, and yet he is absolutely vulnerable. It's not a good idea to mess with God. He walks in. This is what happens. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. God has given you the golden opportunity finally to strike. This man has been after you all of these years. You finally have an open opportunity to kill him. Go get him. And David rose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I find in scripture that as I'm reading about the story of Saul, he seems to be dense. He seems to be out of it. He's in places where he should be more aware of himself, but he's not. But this is in God's hands. And so David cuts off his robe, and now he's got a miniskirt. And David walks away and allows Saul to finish his, his business. I would like to say something about advice. Because when David was in the back of that cave, 
And Saul walked in, his men gave him advice. The advice was, hey, this is an opportunity that God has provided for you. Now why don't you strike while the iron is hot and kill him because he is your enemy. And this is God's way of getting you to the throne. And David moves in the direction of King Saul, cuts off his, the, the bottom of his garment. And then his, his heart bothers him. He feels guilty. He feels hurt. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Sometime the advice that we get sounds good on the surface, but underneath it's not. Advice you will discover in your life is cheap and plentiful. And there will always be somebody that will provide you with their two cents worth of advice. And we need to be careful about the advice that we get. David wrote this in Psalm 1. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And when we think of the ungodly, we usually think about some mean character, some nasty looking attitude that is just belching out some evil advice. And that is really not the case because if that were the case, we would be able to instantly detect who we should not get counsel from. The truth is that ungodly counsel many times comes from a friend. Ungodly counsel can come from a saint. Ungodly counsel can come from somebody who's smiling at you. Ungodly counsel can come from somebody who likes you. Ungodly counsel can come from somebody who you like. That's the truth. We can get it from, and, and it's amazing, you know, the human heart is so, so deceived. The Bible says that the heart is is deceived and desperately wicked, we sometimes can, can promote a good idea and in the background of that idea there's an evil motivation attached to it, but nobody can see it. But if we look carefully enough, we can see it ourselves. Do you remember the story of Mary? She took an expensive uh, bottle of spikenard perfume, broke the bottle and poured it on Jesus' feet. Judas was on the sidelines and he sees this and he acts outraged and said, why did she do this? This could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. Remember that? It sounded so spiritual. It sounded so right on, so right on, but then you get a little PS in the scripture that says, Judas did not say this because he was concerned about the poor. He said this because he had his hand in the money bag and that's the reason why he said what he said. Sometimes advice can, can be trumpeted as good spiritual advice, but underneath it all. That's why we need God's help. And David writes, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, and see if there be some wicked way in me. Because sometimes our heart will fool us. We will, we will decide on something to do and, and uh, we're just announcing it as this is the reason, but behind the scenes, underneath the carpet, there's totally some selfish, greedy reason that nobody else is. Oh, the games people play now, every night and every day now, never saying what they mean and never, and never meaning what they, remember that song? And never meaning what they say. You got to know the difference between what a person is saying and what they really mean. And you need to really know the difference between what you're saying and what you mean. And sometimes the advice that we're getting is not really good advice. Sometimes the advice we give to ourselves is not good advice. 
And so David writes, search me, Lord, help me, help me to understand. I don't, I don't even know who I am. Sometimes I do some crazy things. I don't even, I need to be introduced to myself. Please, Lord, help me peel away the stuff that hides who I really am so I can see myself. So David gives himself advice. And he said to his men, no, thank you, but I'll take my own advice. And this is his advice. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. There are times when you got to see past what your natural urge is trying to get you to do. And you got to see past what's really going on. Because it is natural, it is natural for us to feel, if you hurt me, I will hurt you. If you hit me, then I'm going to hit you. That's natural. It's just natural to respond that way. And David would have been acting naturally if he would have killed King Saul because King Saul was after him. It's just a natural response. But David realizes that you just, you just, you just can't touch some things. There's some things you got to say no. You can't, can't touch, touch this. this. Touch this. And revenge is one of those things you can't touch because you could find yourself fighting God. You can find yourself fighting a battle you cannot win. It's always a good idea to pick your battles. And there are some, brothers and sisters, think about it. There are some battles we should never get involved in because they go nowhere. And David believed that this is one battle that was God's battle, not his. And so he said, I'm not touching this. Isn't that something that I'm going to do? So now, how do, we, how do we handle this thing? Because is the preacher saying that we need to lay down and play dead? To be a pincushion for somebody? Don't make a wave? Don't rock the boat? That's what God's word is not teaching that. God's word is not saying just roll over and play dead. God's word teaches us you need to learn how to roll with the punch of life. You need to really learn what's going on out there and how to deal with the stuff that comes to you because stuff is going to come your way. And in this case, David gave himself counsel and said, this is not something that I need to touch. This is something where I need to give mercy. I need to show mercy. I put this together. It's just sort of like it's, it's a wrap, but I'm not going to wrap it. It says, Saul's the man. Don't lift the hand. God put him there. Let all declare. Can't touch this. Joseph had dreams, his brothers had schemes, they found a buyer, but their plans backfire. Can't touch this. There's some things that God just doesn't want us to touch. David refuses to touch King Saul, but he's not afraid to confront him. And so when King Saul leaves the cave and gets a distance, David comes out and confronts King Saul and basically tells him, he says, you know, King Saul, I could have killed you, I should have killed you, and I would have killed you, but I heard a voice I said, can't touch this, because this is something that God's going to do. I wonder if there's something in your life that God would say, don't touch this, leave this in my hands. I wonder if there's a place in your life, I'm going to get a little deeper here, if there's a place in your life that not only does God say, don't touch this, but God is telling you, in this case, I want you to show mercy. Do you want to know how you can tell whether or not you've grown up, whether or not you're mature, whether or not you've grown up in God? Here's the, here's the test. Sometimes, 
somebody does something or says something that totally outrages us and we feel like acting like a bull in a china closet, but the good part of judgment says, I think I'm going to handle this in a gentle and a kind way. Sometimes somebody does something and we feel that urge, that righteous indignation that erupts inside and, and we have the right to put somebody in their place but instead of doing that we offer a soft answer because the Bible says it turns away wrath. Sometimes there are things that happen to us and, and, and we, we, we want to we want to we want to move every way but loose, but, but what we do is we do the adult thing and we turn the other cheeks. You want to know if you've grown up, you discover how grown up you are when you're involved in an emotional situation where you are being told to act by your nature in one way, but God's word slips in and says, this is the time for grace. Revenge is natural. Grace is not. And so we got to lean on God to know where grace goes. Because see, a lot of times when, when our natural attitude is going to be, I'm going to get even here. And, and we, we will even quote scripture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. Job for job, reputation for reputation. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you. If you knock my block off, I'll knock your block off. And God is whispering on the sidelines, grace. It's Grace. When you came to me and you were hurting and you needed help, what did you ask for? Grace. Now return it. Now it's your turn to give it to somebody else. Grace. I want to share with you some advice I think might be helpful, and it's this. There are those who feel duty-bound and God-ordained to settle the scores in their life. They have been hurt, they have been sideswiped, people have said things, they've been insulted, they've been mistreated, anybody here? And they've been hurt. And they feel that it's their right, it's, 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 it's just natural for them to get even, to settle the score. But I want to point something out about settling the score that I, I think you will identify with. If you've decided that you want to settle the score. People who settle the score are people who must be focused on the mistreatment that they got. You have got to focus your attention on the hurt. You have got to focus your attention on what was said. You've got to keep your mind on the very thing that makes you angry and you can't let it go because if you let it go, you will start to lose your motivation for getting even. So if you have decided you are a, a score settler, then you've got to always remind yourself and you've got to rehearse the hurt and you've got to repeat this terrible thing that was done in your mind and you've got to then talk about it and you got to advertise it and then you got to dramatize it and sometimes you got to embellish it and you got to keep it alive you got to work at keeping it alive because if it's not alive you're not motivated to hurt the person that hurt you and I'm going to tell you something think about anybody anybody that you know who is a score settler get that picture in your head you got it now I ask you this question are they happy 
because score settlers cannot be happy. And the reason they cannot be happy is because they have to stay angry. You cannot settle a score unless you are angry. Now, does that make any sense? That's like somebody saying, all right, I'm going to sign up to be angry for the rest of my life because I am going to be the score settler. And what you're doing is you're simply signing up to be miserable for the rest of your life. You've got to maintain self-pity for the rest of your life. You've got to maintain a sour attitude for the rest of your life because it's the only thing that will motivate somebody to settle the score. You've got to keep looking at the sore and the score in order to settle them. Does it make sense? Jesus steps into our world and he does something really radical. It's so radical that 2,000 years, it still gives us whiplash. He steps into our world and says, forgive. Jesus goes past, forgive. He says, I want you to love your enemy. Love my enemy. I don't even like my enemy. What do you mean love my enemy? How could I love the person I don't even like? And, and Jesus, if he could sit down and talk with you, he would say, I'm not asking you to love your enemy because I think your enemy is so lovable. I'm asking you to love your enemy because if you don't love your enemy, your enemy will forever be under your skin, injecting you with anger and hatred and revenge and retaliation. And my word says, can't touch this because it's not good for you. Now, I want to tell you two things about forgiveness. I think that hopefully are going to be helpful. One is simple. The other one is not so simple. Actually, they're both not simple. If it was really simple, do you think I would need to take time to talk about forgiveness? Then not, It's not simple. It's not simple to forgive somebody who has hurt you, has mistreated you, abused you in some way. It's not simple to simply say you're forgiven or even to go to God and say they're forgiven. It's not, really, it's not simple at all. But, but here's some things that can help make it easier. This is make it easier to forgive. First, we have to stop taking ourselves so seriously. We spend too much time taking ourselves seriously and taking everything personal. There are a lot of things that do happen to us, and we do take them personal. A lot of those things that we take personal, we shouldn't take personal. Some, sometimes some people are just crazy. Sometimes they do stupid things. And when we take it personal, but it's not really personal, it's, it's their stupidity. So we somehow need to divorce ourselves. We get to disentangle ourselves from the mess, disentangle ourselves from the from the mistreatment, and put it away. Just just give us some distance, so I can step back from it, and then then ask God. Get down on my knees, and say, Lord God, help me to use the sense of humor that you've given me, and then get up off of your knees, and now look at that situation, and and look at it, and and if you can't do this, come and see me, because I can do this. I can do it. I can find something funny about whatever it is, and you start looking at it, and you start making fun of it. It, and you start poking fun and you start looking at it in a humorous way and you will discover, let me tell you something, you will discover that what's happening as you're doing that, the burden starts to become lighter for some strange reason. If you can distance yourself from it and poke fun at it, it itself becomes lighter. Now, that's not easy to do, but it's a lot easier than the next thing I'm going to tell you. Are you ready for the next? I'll get on this side, talk about it here. The next thing is this. 
We need to get to the place where we can believe God's word. Now, now you may say, well, that's easy, Pastor Joe. No, it's not always easy to believe God's word. This is God's word about the subject. And tell me whether or not this is true. There is nothing. Did I say nothing? Yeah. There is nothing that anybody can do to you to keep you from the destiny that God has for you. Nothing. There's nobody and there is nothing that can be done to you that can keep you from the purpose and the destiny and the goal that God has established for you. If it were possible for somebody to remove, remove you from the destiny God has for you, that would make them more powerful than God. The truth of the matter is there's nothing, nobody, no insult, no mistreatment, no abuse, nothing that can keep you from the target date that God has for you to do whatever he has planned for you. Nothing, nothing. If that is true, and that's why I say we need to get to believe it. If I can get to believe that, what happens is that the person who has mistreated me and the person who has insulted me and the person who has hurt me, I now see in a new light. I realize that what they did, even though they did it to hurt me, they cannot remove me from the place that God intends me to be and intends me to go. If that's true, and it is true, then it makes it a little easier for me to forgive that scallywag who did and said what he did and said. That's just a little advice. I think it's good, good biblical advice to help along the way. And, and then I want, I want to turn this whole thing in to make this practical as a sermon. Because I started off talking about revenge. And I want to make sure that you know I was just setting the foundation. Because the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of things that God does not want us to touch. He doesn't want us to touch bitterness, because bitterness will not do you any good. If you take bitterness into your heart, if you take bitterness into your mind, you will just become an angry, cantankerous, mean-spirited person. And so when the root of bitterness begins to grow, you need to ask God, Lord, help me pull the root of bitterness out. I don't, I can't touch this. I can't touch this because this is not good for me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me to be able to get rid of this bitterness that I feel is starting to grow in my spirit because this is going to overtake me like weeds overtake a garden. And I can't allow this to choke your life out of me, Lord. Help me. Get, get, I can't touch this. I will refuse to allow bitterness to grow in my life. I cannot touch unforgiveness. Because if unforgiveness gets in me, then I have consigned myself to be bitter all of the days of my life. You cannot live a happy life and be unforgiving. You could push the unforgiveness, you could, you could push the, 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 the job of, of forgiving somebody aside, put it on the shelf somewhere, but it's just a matter of days or somebody will say something off the shelf, it'll tumble down and there will be in your heart again. I, I, oh, I can't touch this, I can't, I can't touch this because I was not designed to contain unforgiveness you've been listening to pastor joe at sunlight christian center